Now, prior to this, all the previous people who have been leeched of their powers have died. Yes. Yes, they have. How is Korra still alive? Not only is Korra still alive, but is at full fucking strength right away. Exactly. The other dude with the funky knives was barely even able to bring a shadow of a knife to himself. Yeah, right right before he fucking died. Yeah, Gordon teleported once and boom, he died. Yeah. Korra, no harm, no foul. Let's go, boom. Yeah, and here's another question. Okay, so apparently Malik can take as many powers as he wants. Right. Why the hell did he need John Garrett in the first place? Why couldn't he just teleport himself? He could have just taken the power. That's a good point. What the fuck did we need John Garrett for? Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Doctor Who. No, Amy, remember honey, original timeline. Oh right, that's my alternate timeline podcast. All things Marvel. Madams, assemble. Alright everybody, this is our final episode covering the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and thus the finale. Yay! We're going to get something out of the way right up top here. We are fully aware that most of this fandom loved this finale. That is totally fine. We respect that. And so we want to say, because I was certainly this way with Endgame. If you don't want to hear anything negative said about this finale, it would probably be best if you stop listening right now. Catch us on our next episode because neither of us is very happy with this finale. Well, I think I should clarify. I'm happy about certain things, but there are certain things where I've got a lot of questions. Yeah, and I've got more issues than Amy, I would say. And we should also note that, especially in my case, since I just started watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this year, I do not have the same emotional investment that a lot of this fandom had or the investment that I had in Endgame moving forward. Right. I've been along for the ride for all seven years, but I still have some questions. Yeah. So now's the time, people. You want to opt out? We totally respect that. Understand you don't want to hear anything bad about it. But if you've come down from the emotional high in the last few days and you're scratching your head a little bit saying, hmm, some of this doesn't make sense. Maybe this could have been better. Then stick around with us. Yeah. All right. Now that it's just the two of us, let's get into the episode. <laughs> oh, man. So, all right, let's start off here talking generally a little bit. The problems, the big problems we had with the finale and really the second half of this season entirely. So here are my issues. First of all, there are plot holes that you could not only fly a plane through, you could build an airport inside them. I was thinking more like they're not plot holes, they're black holes. Okay, that works. Number two, throughout the second half of the season, I don't know what happened. I don't know if the writers lost motivation, but the writing has been incredibly lazy. The character arcs have been muddled. I feel like 
we really lost sense of selves with these characters. And we are going to get into the blatant plagiarism of the MCU as a whole, but Endgame especially. Yeah. I think the writers peaked at the Groundhog Day episode. That was fucking brilliant. It was. But even before that, there were some issues going on with these, I hesitate to even say villains to give them slash him that credit at this point. But there were issues even before (laughs) that episode. Yeah. But before that, it wasn't quite so apparent. Yes. Okay. After that episode, things went downhill pretty fast. Yeah. And my last major pet peeve for this finale is that there was nothing special in terms of the title sequence, which, you know, we had kind of gotten accustomed to. They were amazing with the title cards earlier in the season, which is another point, I think, in my argument that they got super lazy about everything. There was no special credit sequence for the cast. I think that was kind of a slap in the face. You know, this cast deserved something. You and I both saw an amazing fan video that went viral on social media that was Endgame style credits, but for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That was fucking amazing. And ABC and and Disney couldn't do something like that for this show? The, The producers couldn't do something like that? Come on. First off, for the opening credits, the credits kept changing when we were jumping in time. So the credits were changing based on the decade or the era we were in. Right. I know. These guys hadn't jumped I know. since a while. So they used the same credits. I know. But they could have done something special just for the finale. Yeah. Come on. And as for the ending, you know, like every episode would end with, we'll be back in a moment. And then we'd have a one extra scene. But the finale ended with... Nothing. It straight away jumped to the mutant enemy logo. Yeah, I was already disappointed and not really feeling any emotional weight from this finale, but that just finished deflating the balloon for me. It could have been an issue with time. There was so much going on. They just didn't have the time for the credits. No, they didn't make the time. And that's the problem is that, again, laziness. So, Aim, you had a couple other issues, too. My issue over here is about the apparent nepotism in the show. We have Joss Whedon, who directed The Avengers. He spinned off this idea of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. His brother took it over, along with Marissa Tancharan, who is his wife. And now the finale episode was directed by Marissa's brother. And written by, by Jed Whedon. Yeah, Jed is Marissa's husband. Right. So the two of them have written it, her brother has directed it, and this entire show started off by Jed's brother, Joss. Yeah, I think there was a lack of outside influence this second half of the season. Probably. There have been other directors for the other episodes, but this particular finale episode, I think it could have been done better. I don't know why Kevin was the one who who directed the finale. There's so many more other talented directors out there who could have done a better job. Definitely. My other issue was the whole time travel thing. People, she is serious about this. She yeah. she has she has created an algebraic document that made me feel like I was back in high school. Yeah, she is not joking. <laughs> I 
I have done that. There's zero exaggeration for her for once. But hey. yeah. <laughs> I've gone through this episode, this time travel aspect of it, five times. I've taken a sheet of paper and written it all down just so that I could keep track of what's going on. I am going to attempt to explain the whole time travel thing because Chrissy has pr pretty much put her hands up saying, I don't know anything over here. Fuck that. Yes, correct. <laughs> I have no shame about that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, those were my biggest issues over here. All right. So with that said, let's get into it, shall we? Yes, we shall. And we should also mention up top here, everybody, we are treating this as just one giant episode. We're not separating these into two. Yeah. All right. So we start out exactly where we left off the previous week with Daisy, Mac, and Sousa getting, for lack of a better word, beamed aboard the Chronicom ship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry this has to be said because she has looked amazing this entire season, but I hate Daisy's costume here. I hate it. It looks a bit off, right? Yeah, it's bulky and mannish, and it looks incredibly uncomfortable, and I hate it. Which is weird, because earlier it used to look fantastic. It's not the same costume. Possibly. It's different. It, was, it wasn't the, the leatherish kind of Black Widow style costume that she's worn before. This looked more like, like the burlap sack of costumes. I noticed her shoulders, like like they've added in shoulder pads. Yes, it was very. Like they've really gone eighties. Yeah, it was. With it. it was really pointy and just. It didn't look good on her at all. Yeah, it looked a bit off, but she was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, she always is. Yeah, and I will say right up top, also, you know who's awesome in this? Jeff Ward. He stood out for me. Yeah, yeah, he did a good job. We didn't see him as much as the others, but. Deeks had quite the character arc. I think he was really done justice, especially at the beginning of here when he's the one to point out to Malik once they get aboard the ship. Like, dude, you are such an ass and such a cliche. <laughs> yeah. And amateurish. Yes. That's exactly, yep. exactly it. Is that the point? What? Malik is an amateur. It's still bad writing. And he's still, it's still a terrible performance. It doesn't matter. It's a terrible performance, yes. And the writing. The writing could have been. The writing still shit. Better, yes. But I think if they would have made it seem like the reason he's such a cliche is because he is an amateur and which is why Sybil locked on to him and got her stuff done. Because the dude was clearly out of his depth. Yeah. Again, it's the Loki Thanos thing. It's the same Thing only written terribly. How's this the Loki Thanos thing? Because the Avengers, they did it right. They did exactly what you're talking about. Explain. Loki was an amateur. He didn't know what he was doing. He thought he did, but he didn't. Right. He didn't really understand that he was the puppet, but they wrote it well. Right. They created a great character. It was good writing. Okay. Okay. They could have done the same thing here, but they fucked it up with terrible writing, a shit actor who I think was, I don't think he's a terrible actor. I think it was a terrible character that was so muddled he didn't know what to do with it anymore. Right. So they they ruined it. So what you're saying is that Malik is Loki, Sybil is Thanos. Yes. Okay. 
okay. Okay. I see it. Yeah. Okay. So right away, because they couldn't figure out how to get the implant out of Gemma before, they're like, you know what? You can keep it in you. We're just going to inject you with some shit that's going to dissolve it. Yeah. Which kind of makes me wonder about chemicals and all of that, that it's all getting dissolved into her. What will the long-term consequences be of that? Yeah, that's an excellent question that I hadn't considered either. I think maybe Janma should be monitored for a good while. Yeah, yeah. Maybe get some serious detox going. Yeah, maybe some kale. (laughs) Throw an avocado in there, a little apple cider vinegar, you know. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. That'll do the trick. So now we get Sybil back in her human replica form. And she is still... Fully focused on killing Fitz. That's the thorn in their side. So while Malik and Sybil are debating this and Gemma and Deke are being held hostage, we head back down to the lighthouse where Coulson, May, and Yo-Yo are coming to terms with the fact that all of S.H.I.E.L.D. was just brutally murdered. Yeah. And May seems to have an interesting reaction to that. Oh, I have a question about this. Number one. Me too. Yeah, a couple. Number one. Mm Mm-hmm. We have seen that in order for May to feel these last few episodes, the writers have been telling us in order to feel someone, May has to be in fairly close proximity to them. So how can she suddenly feel all these lives lost all over the damn world? Exactly. And if she is feeling the trauma of death of thousands of people all over the world, she should be incapacitated. Yeah. She should be on the floor, curled up in a ball, unable to function. Yeah, she shouldn't just be able to take a deep breath and move on. Yeah, what the hell was that? Yeah, this is exactly what I was thinking. How the fuck is she being able to feel the whole world? Yeah, I mean, she couldn't even handle Patrick Warburton's fucking hormones in a handshake. I know. I mean, what is are her powers expanding over time? Is she going to be able to feel everyone and everything like like Heimdall sees everyone and everything? Yeah, this is ridiculous. It's not explained. It's not resolved. It's a plot device is what it is. Laziness. But how does it even matter? Because it's going to come into play later on with this deus ex machina type of ending that we get. And then Coulson tells Yo-Yo and May to start lockdown protocols while he looks into trying to contact the other members of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Any remaining members of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And this was a classic villain like, oh, go ahead, you go on your own and leave me all by myself. (laughs) I was just waiting for him (laughs) to do something nefarious because that's what they were setting up. I'm not crazy. They set this up several times in the second half of the season and it never comes to fruition. Question. Is it they are setting it up or did I and my crackpot theories get to you? No, they didn't because I didn't want those things to happen. I sent you poop over that. So no. This was entirely my thinking. And I'm not the only one who felt this way. It's not just us. I think they did this on purpose as part of their whole redirection campaign of, oh, let's keep them guessing. Let's not let them figure this out. But they it was too much. 
And plus, Coulson, they have Coulson acting weird in the previous episodes with no explanation. True. For anybody who doesn't know what I'm referring to, go back to our previous episode and listen to our discussion about all the ways Phil Coulson was acting out of character. The last two episodes, really. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Hmm. If it was intentional just to fuck with us, then that's then it has to have some kind of explanation. Yeah. I don't know if it was intentional or not. Yeah. Never resolved. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about with these character arcs being muddled. Right. Yeah. So while they're figuring things out down at the lighthouse, we head back up to space where, oh, suddenly Nathaniel Malik's big boss man, the Chronicoms are working for him. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. No, he that's the thing. He thinks the Chronicoms are working for him. Right. Right. And that's what I don't really understand, because this is in direct opposition to his don't call me sir or be murdered bullshit. Yeah. I don't understand. The character, he started out way back when as a very promising villain, and it's just been a downhill slide. Pretty much, yeah. And I don't get it. In the previous episode, he said chaos, chaos. We get rid of the hierarchy. Don't call me sir. He killed someone who called him sir. Right. Now, all of a sudden, he wants the Chronicoms to destroy S.H.I.E.L.D., take over the Earth, and then he wants to come in, save the world, and rule it? Yeah. These writers had no idea who they wanted this guy to be. And it comes across. The actor playing Malik, he was good when Malik first appeared. So it's nothing against him, but he is terrible in these last couple episodes, especially the finale. And honestly, I think it's because of the writing. He just didn't know what to do with this character anymore. Didn't know where it was going, what the motivation was. I totally understand a lousy performance because of that. Yeah. It seems like the character just did a complete 180. Yeah. You know, one moment he's talking about chaos and anarchy, next thing he wants to rule the fucking world. And when Cora confronts him about killing her mum, did you notice that little half smirk he does just before he turns around? Yeah. I couldn't figure it out. The best that I could come up with was this was the first person he killed. He liked it. And now he's gone full psycho. Maybe. Honestly, I doubt that was the first person he killed. But I think it's also, Cora's terrible too. She's a terrible character. They're lousy performances both with a poor script. Both characters, who are they? What's this motivation? What do they want? Cora is just a nothing character. Yeah, she's, she's a brainwashed idiot. Yeah, she's empty. She doesn't know how to think for herself. No, and it's really obnoxious. There is a way to do that in a compelling way, but they were so lazy with the writing that they couldn't manage it. I suppose, yeah. It could also go down to direction. Possibly, yeah. And when you have poor direction and a poor script, forget it. I think Nathaniel and Cora are a product of poor writing and a mediocre performance. Agreed. And speaking of performances, we need to talk about Mr. Garrett here, who is back at the lighthouse planting bobs all over the place. <laughs> and again, 
no offense to James Paxton, but they're writing this as if his dad is playing the role and he's not. Well, they're trying to be true to the character. I know, but uh, I understand why he's playing the role. It's sweet. Yes, but he wasn't right for this. Mm. He just wasn't. It's not. It do, He doesn't work for this. I'm the big bad wolf. There's been the hen house. No, it doesn't work from him. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was cringy. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah. You know, what wasn't cringy, though. You know, it was fucking amazing. What? Deke's impression of Fitz. Yeah. <laughs> you know who that is? James Bond. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I have to say, Elizabeth Henstridge was fantastic these two episodes. She was absolutely phenomenal. She broke my heart at times because Gemma is almost like a dementia patient for a good chunk of this. Yeah, yeah. And the way she was just changing expressions in a moment. Very subtle. Very subtle, very well done. Yeah, she's fantastic. I really want to see her. I can't wait to see her continued journey as an actor and a director. Yeah, me too. She and Chloe Bennett. Yes, agreed. Both of them. Brilliant. The one thing that I found rather uncharacteristic for Daisy was the fact that she was being so callous about Deke. Yeah. I know it was a bit of a running joke where she just, like, anytime they said, oh, you need to save Deke too, she'd just say, sure. But that's not who she is. She values every member of the team. Yeah. Yeah, she thinks he's a bit of a pain in the ass, but she wouldn't want to just, he's not an afterthought for her. Yeah. See, this is what I mean. The laziness of it. I feel like they were sacrificing character traits, like who these people are for the sake of jokes and plot devices i mean yeah there were a couple of good jokes in there yes sure. i get it but yeah but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be at the expense of the character's personality yeah absolutely but then we get a moment that i think we can safely say pretty much everybody's been waiting for way to step up to the plate danny boy <laughs> yeah yeah i think the whole joke with deke was to basically push the fact that Daisy is not interested in Deke in any way. It was just kind of like the final nail in the coffin of the Deke and Daisy romance. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that in ages. That was never a thing in my mind. There are some people who do think that Deke and Daisy should have been together. I'm not one of them, but there are a few people who do. I think this was just to make sure that there's no room for any doubt that Daisy and Sousa are meant to be. Okay. And I gotta say, though, Mr. Sousa, you could have put a little more effort into that. <laughs> that kiss was a little tame for my liking. A little more enthusiasm. He was trying to be respectful. He's from the 1950s. Give him a break. I guess. I hope he stepped up. He's a dork. That's true. Remember that. This is true. <laughs> Okay, now here comes some more questions. We head back to the lighthouse. So Colson is now this tech science whiz. How exactly? You know why he's a tech science whiz? Because they need him to be for the sake of the plot? Yeah, because he because Fitz and Gemma aren't around. Right. Now, yes, he is a computer. However, that doesn't mean he knows everything. When Enoch had to learn something new, he had to download shit onto his hard drive. That's right. So where is Colson? That's another reason. 
that I thought Coulson was getting some nefarious programming because all of a sudden he knows shit that he has no reason to know. True. And it's never resolved. It's never discussed other than May saying, oh, I'm still trying to get used to you being a techie. Ha ha ha. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's it was a convenient plot device. Yeah. So then the brain trust up in space decides that Daisy's going to infiltrate the Chronicom ship while Mac and Sousa stay aboard the Zephyr. And this is just kind of weird. This whole sequence. And I mean, it's it's supposed to be. It's weird for Daisy, too, because she just walks right on in. Right. Because we know that Sybil wants her to meet Gemma. Yeah. So it's not really all that weird. Yeah. Well, well like I said, it's supposed to be weird, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. So then, unfortunately, we have to spend a little more time with Malik and Cora. And again, we get this chaos, anarchy bullshit. And oh, my God, she is such a goddamn moron. (laughs) Anybody could see through this. He's not Jim Jones. You know, he's not Jesus. What is going on here? I think that's the point, that she is. She was so sheltered that she's so easily manipulated. She's flipped sides more than a pancake. Yeah, seriously. My fucking dogs are more decisive about what toys they want to play with. <laughs> yeah, it's just basically her, own, her shelteredness. It's also the fact that she is just a moron. I'm amazed that she is able to dress herself. You know what? That Maybe that's why she's looking more and more like Daisy with her outfits, because she just doesn't know what else to wear. Easily influenced. Ugh. Now, here we go again. I see people... I'm just getting warmed up today mm-hmm. with the just total lack of resolution on so many things. So we're just not even going to get into how the fuck May became an empath. We're just going to shrug and literally say, I don't know. Well, they kind of explained it, right? When she went into the other dimension and yada yada. Not really. That was like way back when. Barely. There was no other explanation to it. She went into the other dimension. She came back changed. All right. But here's my problem with the resolution is that so May is just empty now. She has no sense of self anymore. She just feels everybody else. And honestly, I think this also affected Ming-Na Wen's performance. She's not great in these last couple episodes, in my opinion. And she's been fantastic for seven years. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. I was wondering, she's been amazing. And what has happened the last couple of episodes? Why, why am I feeling like something is off? Yeah, the emotional intensity hasn't been there. She hasn't seemed sure of her choices. And it's not the character. It's her. It's an unsteadiness and a muddled script. Could the unsteadiness be because of all the conflicting emotions she's getting all the time? I don't think so. Because they don't, they're so wishy-washy about how it works. Because like we said earlier, first you had to be touching her. Then you had to be near her. And now all of a sudden she can feel the deaths of people thousands of miles away. Yeah, so her... Powers do seem to be getting stronger. But then she should be incapacitated. It's not explained. It's not explored. They missed so many steps along the way. Yeah, I guess if they had more time. And can I also say, we never did find out how the fuck 
she could be Spider May. Have we forgotten right, this? I forgot about that. Have we forgotten about May fucking crab walking on a ceiling? <laughs> we're just letting that. Yeah, that whole spookiness to her. Yeah, we're just letting that go. Pretending that shit didn't happen. Pretending that didn't give me nightmares. <laughs> yeah, you wrote a whole poem for her. I did. I could write a fucking dissertation about this goddamn finale. <laughs> Maybe I will. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to read it. Thanks. <laughs> You're the worst. You know what? I was going to give you a co-author credit. You've lost that now. I hope you're happy. Works for me. Continue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but May. There are, yes, there are a lot of questions. I think they did her dirty. Yes. Yes, they did. She deserves so much better. Yes, she de deserves so much better. I know I'm going to get a lot of poop for this. I'm sorry, but I'm kind of glad that May and Colson didn't get together because she doesn't know who she is at this point of time. And Colson is, he's a robot. He's an android. I actually agree with you. She deserves better. Because here's the thing. Colson even says to her, May says something along the lines of, I don't even know who I am. How did I become this way? And Colson's like, well, I like this version of you. What version? She has no self. Yeah, she's very unsure, tentative, overwhelmed. Yeah, anybody who's in her position can't be in a relationship with somebody else because she's not even in a relationship with herself. Yeah. But if you look at it from a completely, completely from an empath's point of view, it makes sense for her to be in a relationship with someone like Colson, who she can't feel. But she deserves better. Absolutely. I agree with you. So they, they made like, they set them up to be the perfect couple and then take that away. It would have made total sense, like you're saying, for an empath to be with an android. But then they don't do it. Right. Yeah, they don't. So why can't she have a sense of self? Again, laziness, not doing justice to a character, making her a plot device for the end of the finale instead. I think everyone is a plot device at this point. Yeah, it's terrible. They lost all sense of it who is. these people are. Yeah. And speaking of plot devices, oh my God, John Garrett, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I cheered when he died because I didn't want to hear him anymore. Honestly, you know, I guess nobody heard me last week. They didn't find an extra version of Loki's muzzle anywhere. But this guy, he's, he had to go. He did. He's terrible. And then Malik still just, and I know this is part of the point, still looks ridiculous in those baggy dark clothes. I keep waiting for either his pants to fall down or... Or for him to just bust out singing Old Lincoln Park. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but one of his sleeves was torn. Maybe. It was distracting me. One of his sleeves was torn. Dude wants to rule the world. Get a new jacket. Yeah, I agree. If there was one thing Loki was good at, it was dressing the part. Take notes from villains who have done it better. <laughs> he knows how to look good when he's murdering people. Yeah, yeah. If they would have put him in leather, a little more better fitting clothes, he would still be a little more 
taken a little more seriously. Yeah. Now, John Garrett, got to ask you, buddy, you are surprised why that Malik is willing to let you die? He's evil and you've known him for five minutes. This is what I think. Garrett thought that probably because in the previous timeline he was betrayed by S.H.I.E.L.D., he won't be betrayed now because he broke this cycle. Eh, maybe, but he flips real fast. Yeah, and he even says, guess I'm wearing the white hat now. Yeah. Yeah, this of course coming when Coulson and May are able to handcuff him and with those special bonds so that he can't teleport away. Malik blows the lighthouse by remote and Yo-Yo manages to move all the bombs to one spot for minimal damage to the lighthouse, thus saving Coulson and May. Yeah. And then once Yo-Yo rescues them from the rubble, they save Garrett. Now, here's the thing. When Coulson says that Garrett can still be saved and his wounds need to be patched up, May specifically says, do we really need to save him? Uh That's when Coulson says, he's our best way to get to the rest of the team in space. Yes. And then later on, after they've patched him up and he says, yes, I guess I'm wearing the white hat now. And he offers his services to get them onto the spaceship. They're acting like that wasn't the plan all along. That literally was Coulson's plan. Save him to ensure that they get onto the spaceship. Yeah. So, yeah, that's you're right. That's a problem for how it was all put together. Yeah. So if he was the best way, why are they playing hard to get when the guy is offering his services? Right. If that was their intention all along. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And can I also say it's amazing what a difference in hair can do. Didn't he kind of look like a different person when his hair was dry as opposed to slicked back? Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. We are so on the same page today more than any other. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's good to know that we bond over hate. Indeed. He was definitely better looking with the dry hair. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Okay. He would have been so much more bearable with dry hair. Agreed. You know what? Maybe it was because it just made him seem slimier, greasier. The wet hair? Possibly. So because Sybil is allowing her to just run free on the ship, Daisy is able to get to Deacon Gemma. And this was so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like a dementia patient, Gemma is confused and scared. She doesn't recognize Daisy because the implant is fully dissolved now and everything is just jumbled in her mind. Right. Yeah. Again, Elizabeth Henstridge was brilliant. Her facial expressions, you know something is off. She doesn't need to say anything. Exactly. I must say that outfit she's been wearing is adorable. She just looks so cute. Okay. She really does. I didn't think too much about it. I had other things on my mind, but all right. Okay. She just looks so cozy. (laughs) She looks very, you know what it is? She, she's like the physical equivalent in this of a cup of English tea and some crumpets. (laughs) Okay, then. We do get a good little joke here of rightfully Gemma looking at Daisy and be like, what the fuck are you wearing? <laughs> yeah, why are you wearing a costume? <laughs> Which is exactly what it was. I'm pretty sure she got that thing from Party City. So Daisy's like, oh, no, no, not a costume. It's for protection. And of course, you know, Gemma's scared. She's like, well, can I have one? 
can I get one? Yeah. And she said it. <laughs> I love the moment. Yeah, she said it in a very childlike way. Yeah. Yeah. Deke and Daisy just look at each other. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, whatever you need, just let's just go. Yep. That's exactly what you yeah. that's exactly what you would do with a child in that situation. Just give them whatever they want. True. Yeah. Make whatever promise you have to make. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very sweet moment there. So there's a bit of heavy-handed foreshadowing here. On the way out, Gemma immediately starts talking about holy matrimony, holy matrimony. Look, nobody talks like that. She's gonna have to put something together, physically put something together. Mm-hmm. Right. I would have liked that to have been a little bit more of an aha moment because if I see it coming, that means it was too heavy handed because I (laughs) never catch things. Yeah, at that moment, I didn't think too much about it. I was more concerned about getting them on the Zephyr. So before they can get back to the Zephyr, they've got to go through Korra. Right. You know who this episode really had me thinking about? Who? Karen Gillan. Uh Uh-huh. For those who aren't familiar with that name necessarily, Karen Gillan is the lovely actress who plays Nebula in the MCU and Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. Right. And that's what this relationship is reminiscent of, Nebula and Gamora, before Nebula came around to becoming a hero. Uh, the difference being, one, Karen Gillan is a fantastic actress, and two, Nebula was written with a brain. <laughs> And legitimate trauma that we could say had brainwashed her and she had to work through. Yeah, her trauma is, her stuff was fucked up. Yeah. Meanwhile, Cora had nothing go wrong in her life, really. Yes, she's burdened with these powers, but she was given every opportunity, every resource. She had a loving mother, a loving community, a happy childhood. There's just no excuse for this shit and this idiocy. No, there isn't. And that's the point. She's she's kind of like an emo goth person with powers. Yeah. So you know what? Get a kid to play the role. Don't bring me this 30 year old actress who is doing a lousy job of playing younger because that's what the role calls for. Maybe. Give me a kid. Give me a kid and don't make any romantic shit between the two of them. But that's the thing. They made it romantic between Malik and Cora. They didn't have to. As a way. They didn't have to, but it is an easy way for him to manipulate her. Lazy. Easy, lazy, path of least resistance. Once again, there are plenty of other ways to manipulate and brainwash people. She was not right for this part. Perhaps. So Daisy and Cora have this little conversation and we see Cora starting to doubt Malik's ideas a little bit, maybe. And she, we don't see how it's resolved, but she does end up letting Daisy go because she gets back onto the Zephyr. Right. And what comes next has to be the worst writing of the show. Which is? Cora goes up to Malik and says, I don't think Daisy's bad. Are you fucking kidding me right now? What are you, five years old? She's confused. It, it comes across. Like, her her mind is muddled right now. But this woman, the best she can come up with, the best they can come up with for this script is, I don't think Daisy's bad. <laughs> oh, my God. It again goes to show her immaturity. But you know what? Maybe this is the writer in me that is just so appalled at the lack of 
creativity and the lack of effort. You know what this episode reminds me of? What? Season four. In what way? You remember season four, brilliant season with the whole framework and alternate sides and such deep questions that had come across that that had come up. Totally. My favorite, my favorite season. Me too. And then the last two episodes, we have crazy psycho bitch. A little. Who turned out to be, yeah, that she basically turned out to be the villain because a woman scorned. Right. Here, we had a brilliant, we had a brilliant season all the way up till the last couple of episodes. And it comes down to this whiny little brat being stupid. And her boyfriend being a raging, psychopathic, power-hungry narcissist. Yeah, it's middle school with higher stakes. Yeah, pretty much. The show deserved better. That's the thing. The show, the writers, they, they're brilliant. They come up with fantastic ideas. They push the envelope. But when things start really getting heavy... They take a step back and take the easy way out. Yeah. They either don't have the guts or the motivation or the creativity to keep going. Yeah. They write themselves up for something fantastic. And then maybe it's performance anxiety or they freeze or what. I don't know. They just crash. Yep. I agree. So this is not the kind of thing Malik wants to hear. He's like, you know what? Fuck this knocks out Cora, has her locked up. Big surprise. Right. So now Mac, Daisy, Souza, and now with Deke and Gemma in tow, they have to figure out how to get the Zephyr out of the hangar. I gotta say, this is creative. The duct tape bomb. Yeah, I liked it. And I think Mac and Souza came up with this. Yeah, well, it was Mac's idea and Souza helped him carry it out. Yeah, so good on them. Yeah, Sousa being useful. He was happy about that. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Now we come to this whole 084 business. Question. Did you think the 084 was going to be a person? I had no clue what the 084 was, but I will say it was nice to hear the term 084, which was such a thing in season one. It was a nice little callback. It was. But when we actually get to it, there's there's way too much for me to ask and think about there. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a person. I thought we were getting a cameo of sorts. So I was a little disappointed that we didn't. I think the closest I got a solution to the 084 was probably that Fitz is somewhere. Right. OK. Yeah, that could have been too. So mm. so the gist here is that Colson receives a coded message at the lighthouse to get to the safe house, which is the Swordfish Bar in New York. Right. They use Garrett to teleport over there. And upon arrival, he is immediately shot dead, fittingly, by Victoria Hand. Yeah, that was fabulous. That was a nice callback. Although I do think it was a bit cheap for them to just shoot him and get rid of him and clear and just sort of like close off that one little hanging thread yeah i thought the character of garrett deserved more but at the same time it was fitting that hand killed him because if we remember back to season one john garrett was the one who gave ward the execution order for victoria hand yeah i think that was great so they are surrounded by other shield agents who survived all the blasts and responded to this call right 
we both felt, felt the same way here and we're super disappointed. This is something we want to hear from you people. Let us know on Twitter at Marvel Madams. Who else thought Fury was going to step out of the fucking shadows? Yeah. Yeah, me too. If ever there was a moment for Nick Fury to show up, this was it. I feel like, again, yeah, they were setting us up for this and just went, ha ha, just kidding. <laughs> and considering Nick Fury has been on the show right. a couple of times in the first season, it would have been perfect for him to show up in the last season. Exactly. Instead, we get this guy Gamble, who apparently is in the comics, but we're not going to get into that. But we've never seen him on the show before. And the way the music is scored, they make it sound like we should know this dude. And he's nobody, as far as we know. Yeah, well, he's part of the comics. So those who are into the comics would know who he is. But still, we get that big sound cue and I'm sitting there waiting for Sam Jackson to pop out of a closet. Walk, come on in. (laughs) Nothing. Yeah, yeah. And then the rest of the team shows up. And so this is another way they do May dirty. So May gives Daisy a hug and Daisy is understandably kind of taken aback. Right. And saying, oh, well, it's it's new, but I liked it. And here's what I feel like they're saying with this. This whole empath new May thing. I feel like there's an insinuation of the old May was defective because she wasn't a super emotional person because she didn't necessarily fit the feminine ideal of an emotional nurturer. And she had her issues, you know, with PTSD. And I just feel like there's this insinuation that she was defective in some way. And now look, she's an empath and has all these emotions and now she gets her happy ending and she's better this way. I don't like it. Well, what makes you say that she didn't get a happy ending? They're making it seem like she did. That was their way of giving her a happy ending. I don't feel like it was. No, I don't either. They made it out to be a happy ending for sure. Yeah, but let's let, let's think about this. Even if you think about this for half a second, it makes no sense that this can't be her happy ending. If she's an empath, how on earth would she become a teacher? She'd be overwhelmed simply by all the emotions and hormones raging through all her students yeah it's the same thing with all the people dying and her feeling it It makes no sense exactly if i'm an empath the last thing i want to do is become a teacher yeah if i'm an empath i'm locking myself inside i'm working from home and talking to people virtually yeah yeah so basically what i'm doing now (laughs) basically 2020 yeah. Yeah. That's you know what? That's our new slogan here at the Marvelous Madams. 2020, live like an empath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's not a happy ending. May never ever showed any interest in becoming a professor. Yes, she was a good teacher. She was a hard teacher. Yeah, just the opposite. Yeah. And I can tell you she always wanted to do things on her own. Also, this whole 084 campaign, because we see everybody bringing them forward, they've had it for decades. Could we get a little more love and appreciation for this massive undertaking Enoch was able to pull off? I know, right? I feel like he was just an afterthought. Not even. Yeah. He saved your fucking lives. How many times? I've lost count. You think this shit was easy? Yeah. 
And Fitz doesn't even blink an eye that Enoch's dead. Well, see, that's what I was confused about, partly. Let's hold on to that for when we get back to the time travel stuff, because I do want to say something about Enoch there with with Fitz. We'll get into it then. All right. Okay. When Coulson asks everybody about what these 084s are and everybody's like, oh, don't know, never looked. You know what it reminded me of? What? (laughs) Castaway. So the way Tom Hanks had all those packages on the island with them, but he had some kind of ridiculous honor when it came to working for FedEx that he wouldn't open the packages. Yeah, That's kind of what it reminded me of. It made me laugh. (laughs) But even if they had opened it, they wouldn't have been able to figure out what it was. That's true. Yeah, because as we then find out, all of these 084s are supposed to be put together as a device and it's Gemma who comes along and she's like, oh, holy matrimony. And no one talks like that. (laughs) So she is able to put everything together. They pick up this machine, whatever the hell it is, and it opens up a wall slot and they bring this over to a table and... Here we get our first real big endgame ripoff, right? Right. Of this portal, quantum-type portal they open up. And who drops out of the ceiling? Ant-Man. Try again. Enough with your wishful thinking. I would have enjoyed seeing Paul Rudd too, but no, it is Fitz. <sighs> Fitz. I was very happy to see him. Even if his hair did look a little ridiculous. Well, he was wearing a helmet, so helmet hair makes sense. No, no. See, the problem is his hair, (laughs) his very Scottish hair is already a helmet. He probably didn't need that helmet. Probably not. He's got a lot of cushion there. (laughs) Uh, But it was so sad when Gemma doesn't know him and like backs away almost like a cornered animal when he goes to hug her. Yeah. Yeah. And he just says, damn. Yeah. And that is the end of episode 12. Oh, no, not quite, Amy. No, no, because we need to rip off Endgame again. But instead of saying we're in the Endgame now, we say the end is at hand. Fuck you. (laughs) Everybody knows what you are blatantly plagiarizing. (laughs) That didn't occur to me. That won't be the last example of it. There are laws in place now where you can get in trouble for plagiarizing yourself. And I'm also talking to you, Stephen King. That's right. (laughs) Sorry, there's other rage bubbling up along with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's just so much rumbling around inside me. Clearly, clearly. Take a deep breath. Calm yourself down. So it's at this moment, Fitz reappears and tells the team, Hold up! You know you guys can go back to the original timeline, right? Yeah, and he just basically says, Okay, let's go. Yeah! I'm like, wait, what? I had like I had one of those like Tim Allen home improvement kind of moments yeah if we can go back to the original timeline why were you here in the first place yeah I don't understand and Gemma's only been gone for like a minute for him yeah pretty much that well we find that out in a bit Now, what I don't understand is why they all jump all over him at first. Like, wait a second. He's not the bad guy here. No. Why are we doing this again? Why are we making him out to be the bad guy? They're not trying to make him out to be the bad guy. The guy is not explaining anything. 
Well, it seemed like it at first because they're all like, well, then why? If you made us do all this, you made us go through this hell and all of this. And it's like, cool it, people. Yeah, because it makes sense for them to be pissed off. They've gone through hell. This guy says, okay, we can go back. Let's go. No explanation. No, nothing. Yeah, but they know from what Gemma has told them that they spent such a long time making this equipment, putting all this plans together. They know he wasn't just sitting around twiddling his thumbs. Like, he made hard choices, too. He was doing hard work, too. So I just don't understand why they're so upset with They're him. upset because he's not explaining anything. He basically came in and said, okay, let's go. Well, because he thinks... And where's Cora? Yeah, see, that's it. Is he thinks because they got seemingly the same end result that they got to it the same way he had expected. Exactly. And that didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. And if it would have been helpful if he could have told Gemma to ensure that Cora stays alive and comes onto their side. She could have just as easily been killed by malik when he tried to take her powers she could have gone to the bad side like she did in this scenario right or killed herself yeah or killed herself the team wouldn't have known that they need to save cora the fact that malik saved her was pure dumb luck for the team right so that's a really good point why didn't fitz plan for that him and Gemma? exactly they didn't give any explanation any guidelines okay for anything you know he says later on that he studied the time stream and he did all of that if he would have given them a little bit of guiding information just a little bit it could have made such a huge difference for them they were all running blind that's true that's the point which is why they were getting onto his case not because you know they just were and another cheap thing i thought here well, the showrunner said we were going to bump into something from the MCU and that something turns out to be the quantum realm. Right. Yeah. Like, seriously? That was a big letdown. Yeah. Huge letdown. Like, they're already fucking with time. We know that. How is this anything special? Again, they're just ripping off Endgame. Yeah. The only difference here is they're going through timelines. Yeah. And another thing why everyone was getting irritated with Fitz was because... He just expected everyone to follow him the moment he showed up. Well, I think that's also because he figured that's what Gemma would have them not trained to do, but would have expressed to them needed to happen. But as soon as he came in, he realized that Gemma doesn't have her memories. Yeah, but this is a jolt for him, too. He's spent years with the mindset of this is all going to go a certain way. We've engineered this to go a certain way. And it's only been a minute for him since Gemma left. So there's a learning curve on both sides. Yeah, okay. So when he starts explaining, he's about the, the alternate timelines and the quantum realm and all of that. It's almost like he's just like doing them a favor. Okay, this is it. Now let's go. I get it, though, because he's been so focused on this for so long. He's got tunnel vision. Well, so have they been focused on all of this. They've been trying to save the fucking world. Yeah, but you know what? They haven't seemed, uh, at least a few of them, haven't seemed all that rushed about it lately. Ugh. But nonetheless, they've all been through shit. 
Yeah. And speaking of which, again, Jeff Ward really shines. Somebody they realize somebody's got to stay behind in order for the team to get back to the original timeline. And he steps up even after Sousa tries to be the one to take the hit. Yeah. And yeah, I love the I love the way Deke goes about it. And he's like, <laughs> the way he says, Danny boy here is still impressed by light bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I do agree. Deke will be just fine in 1983. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's capable of thriving anywhere and everywhere he goes. He's a survivor. Yep. And the way Gamble looks at him and so you're the guy left in charge of. Yes. absolutely yeah yeah all right now i'm hoping you can get past your hate just a little bit here in this next scene we get to Mm -hmm. i absolutely love the way and again it's their great chemistry together the way Fitz gets Gemma's memories back yes that was well done He is so gentle with her, and I feel like it's the dad in him now. Yeah, there is a change. Yeah, it's so sweet. And did you, as soon as you heard the name Alia, did you know that this is the kid's name? I did not. For me, it was like, "Uh uh-huh, this is it. On my second watch, I was like, oh, yeah, should have realized that. It makes total sense now. But the first watch, it was a little bit of an odd name to me. If it had Mm -hmm. been like, I don't know, Ashley, then I probably would have figured it out, you know. (laughs) uh, Interesting little thing. Alia in Arabic means sky. Yes. I saw somebody point that out somewhere on social media. And I was like, that. Might be reaching a little bit. How so? Because they were like, oh my God, Fitzsimmons named their daughter after Daisy. Like, uh, well, kind of. I don't know if it really had anything to do with Daisy. It was the name of an actual star system. It was from Gemma's childhood. I don't think that had anything to do with Daisy. And And she was, you know, conceived and born over there. Presumably conceived there. I don't know. Hey, I'm proud of you. You were just able to talk about the idea of Fitz having sex without vomiting in your mouth. You've come a long (sighs) way, partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's where we get the huge exposition dump that we've been waiting for this entire season. Mm -hmm. And this is one of my favorite lines. (laughs) Enoch, put your face on. You're freaking everybody out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the exposition dump and the whole time fuckery thing happens simultaneously. Yes. And then we get our final great just Enoch line. My time with Fitz taught me how to be an outlaw and I've gotten quite good at it. (laughs) (laughs) I love him so much. Yeah, me too. (laughs) God. Yeah. Enoch is amazing. Okay, so I'm going to let you explain all this time travel fuckery with your numerical chart there, because (laughs) I will 100% fuck this up. Okay, all right. So I will do my best. I'm sorry if I mess up. All right? Because it's a bit confusing. Yeah, just a little. (laughs) So I've got my notes. 
This is real, people. I've seen the paper. Here's what I'm confused about, and this is what you can answer for me, and I'm sure some of our listeners who are equally confused. How the hell did the team go back to the original timeline and see themselves and participate in saving themselves if that's them? If that they're their original selves. So how are there now two sets of everybody? And then what happens to the extra set of everybody? What's going on? Yeah. So that's where my serial killer murder board comes in. All right. Okay. So I'm going to start from the beginning, including the whole exposition dump, because that's required at this point. All right. Okay. So we are basically divided into time two timelines. Timeline one, which... So it picks up pretty much immediately after Izel's failed opera debut. Ha. So while Izel is doing her thing, we obviously remember Fitzsimmons are being attacked at the lighthouse by the Chronicoms. They are then jumped to the Quinjet with Enoch. And Enoch tells them they have to alter the course of their natural lives. That's right. Once they do that, they drop Flint and Piper off at a certain undisclosed location, and they take the Zephyr and head off to space. There, they spend a long time figuring things out. Fit studies the time stream, they figure out time travel, and they take this white box and modify it so that Fitz can stay there waiting for the quantum realm to open up for him to reach timeline number two. Okay. So once they figured out all of this, they figured out how the hardware and things work. They've got a plan. They jump back to where Flint and Piper were. Okay. This is all still timeline number one. They bring the box down. Fitz goes into it and they tell Piper and Flint that they're going to be back in a bit. They just need to ensure that they protect this box at all costs. No matter the cost, a.k.a. whatever it takes, go fuck yourselves, writers. <laughs> Grand theft script. I just invented a new crime. <laughs> then Gemma goes back to the Zephyr. She gets her implant. She forgets information about where Fitz is, etc., etc. She then goes to the temple and meets up with the rest of the team which is basically Mac, Yo-Yo, May, Daisy, and Deke. Okay. Okay, so these guys get onto the Zephyr and jump out to the 1930s. But simultaneously, Timeline 2 is happening. So in Timeline 2, we have two teams. Team 1, we have Colson, May, Daisy, and Mac. They are in, in the timeline to Zephyr 1, which we've been with all along all this time. All right? Right. Team number two is Gemma, Fitz, Sousa, and Yo-Yo. They are disguised in their bio suits. They get onto the Quinjet, and they go back to the same spot where Piper and Flint are waiting. Right. They don't meet them, but that's where they land. They go and meet the original... Gemma, after all the planning has been done, after she's been implanted, they go help her out, bring the rest of the team to the original Zephyr 1 from Timeline 1. Okay. Clear so far? Yeah. Okay. 
Once they have done their thing in the bio suits, they go back to the Quinjet and they head to the lighthouse in the current timeline one that we that we were in season six. Okay. Now, the other team, which is on the other Zephyr, is heading to the Chronicoms. So while Zephyr 1 from Timeline 1 is jumping to the 1930s, the Chronicoms are actively scanning for the Zephyr so that they can shoot them down from the, in the sky. They manage to find the Zephyr, which is the original Timeline 1 Zephyr. For some reason, they don't find the second Timeline Zephyr, which is close to them. They probably were scanning only the surface of the Earth. They weren't scanning in space is what I think. So they send down a couple of rockets to destroy Zephyr 1, but Zephyr 1 jumps away to the 1930s just in time. The rockets go and hit the temple, and that's the end of that. So what you're basically telling me is that the team replaced themselves in the original timeline. Pretty much, yes. So they did the entire journey, came back, and their original older, or rather their younger versions of themselves, have gone back on that journey. So it's a perfect loop. I feel like I just took the math portion of the SATs. (laughs) So yeah, so they head to the Chronicoms, while the other half of the team is in the lighthouse, and they go into fuck things up for the Chronicoms. This does not include Enoch's time travel fuckery. So once Enoch is with the team, our original team from Timeline 1, he gets left behind in the 1930s, remember? Yes. Hard to forget. Yeah. So when he is left behind, he takes all these pieces that are required to connect to the quantum realm and sends them out to all these future S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And presumably during his sabbatical with the Koenigs, he takes the time to create this thigamajig behind the fake wall for Fitz to land whenever he does reach there. Okay, this is all well and good, but here's one big question I have. So the time stream, everything hinges upon having access to the time stream and being able to look into it. Right. Which fits had. Yeah, because Enoch stole a copy of it. When they said that, I was like, hold the fuck up. This is a very important piece of technology. This time stream is the key to the Chronicom's whole plan you're you're gonna tell me they just had a spare copy of it lying around like it's a goddamn flash drive (laughs) somewhere like just sitting on a desk somewhere that enoch could just walk by do a and just pocket it really i don't know and frankly that was the smallest question i had Yeah, but it's kind of the foundation of everything. It just seemed so absurd. Now that I have a headache, (laughs) we've done our best to explain the time travel fuckery. Take it or leave it, people. We're going to move on. Yeah, we're moving on, but I still have a lot of questions about this. Okay. 
Number one. So is Fitz now a combination of Tony Stark, Scott Lang, and Doctor Strange? Apparently. Because he does it all? Uh, yeah, it would seem so. Everything but wizard things. If they would have given it some more time, he probably would have done that too. Possibly. Secondly, why did they have to wait till the 1980s for the 084 signal to go out? Why couldn't they have done this decades ago? Exactly. That's a good question. Like I said before, why couldn't have Fitz given that little bit of information about Cora being the key? Yeah. And by far the most important question that was bugging me was that if Fitz is safe and sound in that little white box of his in another timeline, why did Gemma need to forget anything in the first place? Yeah. The Chronicoms aren't able to jump timelines. Yeah, only past and future. Yeah. Right. You're they're, right. They're able to jump within the same timeline, but they aren't able to jump across the timeline. So what was the big deal? Yeah, the question wasn't where is Fitz. The question is when was Fitz? Right. And why did they have to wait for everything to get so fucked up for them to jump back? If the goal was for them to jump back, why go through all this trouble in the first place? Yep. To bring Cora? They could have just gone back in time saved Cora like Malik did and brought her here and said look here's your happy family go boom <laughs> go boom <laughs> yeah I feel you and you know what this is actually a really nice segue into my next point so we go back to Sybil on the Chronicom ship who's getting pissed at this point right and says now, mind you, this whole time, Malik has been up her ass to just kill them all, take everybody out. And she's like, no, no, no. There's a 22% less chance of this and 11% chance of better of that. She's been a slave to the percentages the entire time. Right. And now all of a sudden, she says, and I quote, no matter the percentages, these people always beat the odds. Right. Then what has been the point of all this? <laughs> Why exactly. are you doing any of this? Exactly. Just so, we, just so we can have a quippy line here? Really? <laughs> I can't. If the point was to save the timeline to ensure that the Chronicoms aren't able to take back Earth and Korra was the key, they didn't have to jump back to the 1930s. They could have just jumped back to the 80s gotten back to Cora, saved Cora, and come back here. And it would have still maintained the timeline because in the original timeline, she died. If she's no longer there, she's presumed dead. Yeah, and why would you still be a slave to these percentages if you're now saying, well, they always beat the odds? What the fuck do the percentages matter? <laughs> oh, my God. It doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And here we go again. Now we bring Coulson in here so they can have their little showdown. And again, these writers <laughs> with this Manchurian candidate 
red herring bullshit when she says to Coulson, time for you to be reassigned. I'm sitting there thinking he's been working for her all along inadvertently, and now she's going to change his programming again. But is that what we get? No. No. We get him playing her. Yeah, and again, he's just kind of there. Coulson doesn't really do much here. No. In this finale, he doesn't do much at all, which is a shame because he's Clark fucking Greg. Yeah, he does kind of kick a couple of Chronicom's ass once the cavalry arrives. Yeah, that's really it. And I was very happy to get that fight scene of them together. It was well choreographed, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, he was a plot device through and through. Yeah, and it sucks. Phil Coulson deserved better and Clark Gregg deserved better. Absolutely. Now, here's another question I have. So Coulson tricks Sybil into giving them her authorization code. And while this is going on, Mac is able to rescue Cora, who has had her powers stolen by Malik in that process that he's come up with. And boy, do we have questions here. Yeah, the leeching process. Yeah. I'll let you go ahead and start this while I just sit here and seethe. Okay. I'm taking a nice, deep, calm breath before I start. Now, prior to this, all the previous people who have been leeched of their powers have died. Yes. Yes, they have. How is Cora still alive? Not only is Cora still alive, but is at full fucking strength right away. Exactly. The other dude with the funky knives was barely even able to bring a shadow of a knife to himself. Yeah, right, bef- right before he fucking died. Yeah, Gordon teleported once and boom, he died. Yeah. Cora, no harm, no foul. Let's go, boom. Yeah, and here's another question. Okay, so apparently Malik can take as many powers as he wants. Right. Why the hell did he need John Garrett in the first place? Why couldn't he just teleport himself? He could have just taken the power. That's a good point. What the fuck did we need John Garrett for? True. And then, if we think about it, why did he spend all this time manipulating Cora in the first place? He could have just leached her in the first place. Yeah. What the fuck was the point of all this? Did no one think this through at any point? And is there no problem with compatibility of powers? Apparently not. And forget about stealing from Endgame. They stole from themselves. Yeah. Ada stole all the powers from the framework to create herself a superpowered human being. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, you're right. So here Malik is doing it in a different way. Yeah, it just... Doesn't make any sense. Again, just the the lazy stealing. Yeah. How is she still alive? That is the biggest thing. Yep. But she is. So we continue on to the lighthouse. And it's at this point where I'm like, yeah. All right. Everybody was right. They have a kid. Gemma's remembering. Mm hmm. And. You know, it's one of those things where they don't do the big reveal yet. But who talks like that? I remember. I remember what we're fighting for. Really? 
Really? No. No. She's going to say, I remember Alia. I remember we have a daughter. Not not this cryptic talk that's just for the sake of keeping it cryptic until we can actually see the kid. It's silly. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. And this whole thing of remember what you're fighting for. Yes, Gemma is fighting for her kid. But the kid is safe and sound in the box. Yeah. We'll we'll get to the whole family thing in a minute. Yeah. And when Mac brings Cora and Coulson tells her, you need to know what you're fighting for. And she says, I know. Like, the fuck? How does she know? Is she telepathic suddenly? Yeah. Nobody talks like this. Exactly. Coulson never talks like this. No, never. All right, so now we come to a point where we've already discussed this a little bit and how infuriating this is. A little bit. <laughs> the whole point of May being an empath was just to set up this moment where she can take all that stored grief that she has that she's somehow totally okay with and <laughs> blast it out with the help of Cora's power, blast it out to all these chronicoms and make them feel. And so they drop right. their weapons and turn into good guys. Are you fucking kidding me? I love this one line that they say. I say with utter sarcasm. When Yo-Yo asks them, are they friends or enemies? And they say, we are friends. As we have always been. That made me angry. It did. You do not take away that line from Enoch. No. Nope. You do not make it a cheap line where all the chronicoms say that. Fuck you. Yep, I agree. And speaking of fuck you, oh, this was, this is the moment I tell you right now, people, if I wasn't sitting on a nice soft couch, if I'd been at, sitting at a table or a desk, I'd have two broken hands. <laughs> so we go back up to the chronicom ship where Daisy has to deal with Nathaniel Malik. Once and for all. And, you know, I feel like the direction that was given to him was just, hey, just act like you're really constipated, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So there, the two of them start fighting, doing this hand-to-hand, and Malik says to her, I could go all day. Ooh! It wasn't as if it wasn't bad enough that they totally ripped off the Tony Cap fight from Civil War. Yes. They, they totally did. fucking did. And yeah. when he said that on top of it, I lost my shit. I grabbed the dog toy from the basket and threw it across <laughs> the room and I was banging my arms on the couch saying, no. <laughs> Bad writers. Bad. <laughs> yeah. I agree. That even got to me a bit. And the one thing that I found very interesting is that when Daisy enters this fight chamber, it's covered with plastic domes. And apparently those domes are radioactive. I don't know. That's what she said. Be careful. It's radioactive. I think you need a little more protection than plastic domes. 
hey, if, if, if desks were going to save all American school children from a nuclear attack in the 50s, I think they're fine. <laughs> That's the least of my issues. Mm. And here I have another big problem. So the whole thing is Daisy's like, oh, yeah, bro, I know that in order to kill you, I got to kill me, too. I'm here for it. No problem. Sacrifices herself, totally pulls a Tony, but there's no emotional depth to this whatsoever. None. Because they immediately bring her right back to life. And since when can Cora bring people back to life? When has this... Well, she tried. She tried, yeah. But when has this development occurred? Uh, I don't think she's bringing her back to life as so much as she's warming her up. No, 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 yeah. no. Yeah, no. She, when Daisy is floating in space, we see the CGI of her turning to ice. So when they rescue her and bring her back onto the Zephyr, Cora is warming her up and Cora, we know, can burn shit. Yeah, but see, that doesn't fly for me because there was an explosion, in case you didn't notice. I know. Yeah. They blew the whole up. The plane exploded. Yeah. Yeah. It Everyone exploded. blew up. Yeah. 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 Daisy was intact. Yeah, she's confetti. There's no way she comes out of this alive. It's just, there's, no, no. I know, but I'm glad that she's alive. But it had no emotional punch whatsoever. I felt absolutely yeah, nothing. It, well, if she would have died, it certainly would have had a major emotional punch. But I'm glad she's alive. I I really hope that I'm able to see Chloe Bennett playing Daisy Johnson somewhere, somehow, someplace. I do too, but they should have done this differently. That was just terrible. True. It could have been done in a better way. And that's besides the point that if you're out in space like that, you don't just freeze. You... Stuff happens. Yeah, stuff happens like not being able to breathe. That's, again, the least of your problems. Your blood vessels burst and, you know, it t it gets graphic Yeah, out there in vacuum. Uh, eyes explode. Lots of things yeah. happen. So yeah. she's fucking yeah. dead, people, is what we're trying to say. Mm. So she gets back into the Zephyr and that's when we get this whole big thing. It's all about family. And at this point, I'm like, wait. Are we getting that cameo? Is Vin Diesel here? Am I watching a Fast and the Furious movie? <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be surprised at this point with the way the Fast and Furious franchise is going. Vin Diesel just, you know, in his car slash spaceship just drives by. Interesting. Okay. Never seen them. But I know enough about them to know that that's a to know that that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we finally meet this kid that we've heard so much about and I will say that little baby Scottish accent's pretty cute yeah and then uh, we get our final endgame ripoff here with one year later now I don't know about you but when they all show up at the bar sitting in the way they're sitting I swear I thought they were all about to have a group therapy session or some kind of intervention <laughs> Probably needed, yeah. Everyone is way too well adjusted. Way too well adjusted. Somebody, at least one of them, should be in rehab. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> 
somebody should either be in rehab, have gained 50 pounds, or be on a reality show. Those are your three <laughs> options after this level of drama. If I were me, I'd be in a padded cell just going, you know, rocking myself back and forth. Yes! Exactly! Yeah. And I will say, though, Daisy's hair looks amazing. I loved it. I didn't really care for it. I liked it. And so her and Susan, they're just in space now, apparently. That's what they do. Yeah. They're doing something in space. They're playing on typewriters, apparently. Mm-hmm. With Cora. And I did love this line, though. He's a dork. <laughs> Turnhead. Speaking of dorks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then, too, I'm like, wait, so Coulson's just reassessing? Really? That's all we get? He's just reassessing. He's being cryptic. Yeah. And my hope, I hope you're right, Amy, but I've lost faith in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. showrunner group, at least. But, well, go ahead and tell everybody your theory that I'm 100% on, bo- on board for and very hopeful for. Okay. My theory is that considering the way they left Coulson, Clark Gregg is not done with Marvel. I have a feeling he's probably going to show up somewhere somehow in maybe the Disney Plus shows, hopefully maybe in the movies in the future. Who knows? I think we're going to see him on the Loki series for a couple reasons. One, because he knew some details about the production of that show. Two, Agent Gamble, who we met during that little 084 convention. In the comics, he works for the Time Variance Authority, which is going to be the organization that arrests Loki in his series. Okay. And three. Yeah. Three. Come on. How funny would it be to have Phil Coulson show up in Loki's prison cell and be like, I thought I killed you. (laughs) we need that moment come on yeah i think that's a possibility and i i would look forward to that same here yeah i think phil colson is going to be the claire temple of the disney plus series for those of you who don't know who claire temple is she was instrumental in bringing the defenders together in the entire Netflix Defender series. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see Coulson bouncing around and showing up every once in a while in each show. Yeah. And that is why I have a feeling is why May and Coulson didn't get together. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because if he keeps popping up here and there, everyone is going to wonder, where's May? Right. Well, they could always pull a Cheers, you know, or pull a Frasier and just mention her, but you never see her. Yeah, possible. Or chances are they'll probably just end up retconning this, what would have been a happy ending for May and Colson, and just say, oh, they broke up, which would suck. True. So, yeah, I that's what I think is going to happen. And I'm really hoping to see Daisy Johnson somewhere else in another spinoff or... Who knows where? Well, we'll have to wait and see. And in the me- yeah. in the meantime, we'll find Melinda May teaching. That just makes no sense to me. No, I do love the Colson Academy, though. That, yes. 
Absolutely. But no, May... And it's nice that Flint has been able to join S.H.I.E.L.D. and, you know, hopefully have a happy life. Yeah, he's currently taking How to Be a Plot Device 101. (laughs) I think he's an expert there. He doesn't need to take any classes. Seriously, but Professor May... No, get out of here. Yeah, doesn't work for me. And then even worse, we see Mac up on the helicarrier in this black garb in the duster. Excuse me. Are you seriously trying to compare Mac to Nicholas J. Fury? (laughs) Oh, I don't think so. Don't you dare. That is an insult to Nick Fury and Samuel L. Jackson. Hmm. Yeah. The only thing missing was the eye patch. For real. If they had done something to mimic that in some way, oh my God, I would have a broken hand. (laughs) But I did like Yo-Yo's ending. I don't know how I feel about Davis now being an LMD. Yeah, me neither. He had a family. Yeah. What does this mean for his wife and kid? I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of weird. So things get wrapped up with Phil getting back his souped up Lola, which was a very nice callback and a nice way to end things for him. Yeah. Left it open-ended. I like the transformation. It was very cool. Yeah, and I even liked Yo-Yo, the the car that Yo-Yo got out of. Yeah, and I got to say, I know you disagree, but that new Lola, I am convinced that that car isn't just a car. Obviously, it's flying, but I think it is also some kind of time quantum machine as well. No, I don't think so. Well, we shall see, won't we? I suppose so, yes. And of course, finally, Fitzsimmons, they get their happily ever after, they're retired, they have their little girl, Alia, and are free to just finally live. Yeah, I think that was well earned. Yes, I was very, very happy with the Fitzsimmons ending for sure. Okay, so that is it, people. We are done with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Thank you for joining us on this marathon roller coaster of a ride. Yeah, it's been crazy and... It's been a lot. It's been a lot. It's been crazy. It's been... There's been so many ups and downs and we've had a blast. We have. We really have. And thank you to everybody who's been with us on this ride and especially a few people we want to thank this week. So at DJ underscore black three five seven and at Ninja Cat Hockey. It's really been nice talking with you guys this week. At Craigie underscore XO. Thanks for chatting with me. You brought up some really good points. And at Capital Check, thank you for your support. And it's good to know that we aren't the only ones who were a bit disappointed with the finale. Yes. All right. So, guys, if you have enjoyed this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ride with us, stick around. We have tons of great content that we are planning for you guys. So if you've enjoyed it, please share the show with your fellow Marvel fans, whether it's word of mouth or sharing it on social media. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and make sure to join us on Twitter or Instagram at Marvel Madams. So 
We're actually following in Colson's footsteps here, and we're going to take a brief sabbatical to regroup and recharge after this three months of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. insanity. Yeah. We will be back with you on August 31st when we will be finishing up phase one of the MCU with Thor. If I were you, I wouldn't miss that episode because we have some really deep conversations about a certain Mr. Hemsworth and pancakes. Yes, yes we do. So thank you to all you madams for joining us today and for the last four and a half months. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Visit us at themarvelousmadams.com where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. Oh, by the way, uh, I'm sending you the paper. The paper. I'm sending you the sheet. I've written this entire thing down. Are you shitting me? No. Why would I be shitting you? Give me a minute. Yeah, that's true. You're you, so I shouldn't be surprised. Okay. That's nice. That's nice. Really. Thank you. My God. Seriously? I... No. No. What is this madness? No, I am not in high school algebra two anymore. I don't have to do this and you can't make me. I'm not doing to do anything. Just read it. It no, this is nonsensical. No, I feel like <laughs> I feel like every contestant on the Great British Baking Show right now who looks at a recipe and says, Oh my god, the maths. I'm bad at maths. There's too much. I can't do it. <laughs> hey, after at the end of that math, at least you get a good pie or cake or whatever. You've got like exponents on here. The fuck am I supposed to do with this?